Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel reading from the sixth chapter of St. Luke with an emphasis on these words. Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Many of you here this morning are likely already familiar with Jesus' famous commencement to his Sermon on the Mount in St. Matthew's account of the Gospel. We call the series of teachings leading up to the main sermon the Beatitudes. And some of you might even be able to recite several of the Beatitudes from memory. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. And if you're already familiar with the Beatitudes, then you likely noticed that today's text from Luke chapter 6, which, mind you, doesn't come around nearly as often in our lectionary as does Matthew's uh, account of these words, and so it's probably a little less familiar, it has a markedly different structure than what we hear and read from Matthew 5. Besides the difference in setting, which St. Luke describes as being on a level place as opposed to Matthew's mountain, uh, we also see that the structure of Jesus' teaching gives us not just a list of blessings, but also a parallel of woes that are wholly unique to this account. What follows Jesus' healings and cleansings are this series of blessings and woes aimed at his disciples and meant to challenge his followers to define blessing and success not according to the world, but according to his everlasting kingdom. The primary emphasis here seems to be on poverty. Jesus contrasts those who have and those who have not. Blessed are the poor, the hungry, the mourning, the persecuted. And then, woe to the rich, the full, the laughing, the popular. Friends, I tell you, if there was ever a text that could be misread, misinterpreted, and abused, well, then you're looking at it this morning. In fact, we see examples of such bad teaching all around us. For we know that we live in a time where everyone likes to wear their persecution on their sleeve, where we all like to say to one another, oh, you think you have it bad. Well, your suffering is nothing compared to my suffering. Consequently, we we see podcasters and pundits alike taking every opportunity and every inconvenience and posting their, their... their oppression, their downcastness, online for all to see. As they do so, they do to the acclamation and thumbs up and reposting of thousands upon thousands of people who all consider themselves similarly persecuted. But I ask you this morning, could this truly be what Jesus means? That you as Christians, as followers and disciples of Christ, you must make sure that you anguish yourself the prerequisite level of misery and paucity so that your faith might be proven genuine. Oh, and while you're at it, don't forget to make sure to take a few snapshots and selfies while doing so. You know, so that your neighbor knows that you're a true Christian. 
Now, I pray that I'm not surprising any of you here this morning, but no, this is not, in fact, what Jesus means. Rather, the mode of poverty referenced in this reading by Jesus is quite different from this kind of virtue signaling that I just mentioned. Or, for that matter, it's more than mere physical poverty or hunger. Allow me to explain by once again referencing St. Matthew's account of the gospel, these same teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. Here, Jesus opens with very similar remarks. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, did you catch the added wrinkle that Matthew adds? It's only two extra words, but these two words lend us a tremendous understanding about what it means to be poor for Christ's sake. Those words, as you heard them, are in spirit. So then, the question that we must wrestle with this morning, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? To answer this, and I pray that I'm not dating myself here, I want to call your minds to a commercial that some of you might remember on television from about uh, a decade ago, give or take. In this commercial for Lending Tree Financial Services, we're introduced to a man named Stanley D Johnson. Stanley Johnson is this lanky, deadpan individual with this languid smile, and he just wants to share with you, the audience, the secret to his success. If you saw this commercial, then you recall that Stanley begins by telling us how he has a beautiful wife, a wonderful family, a great four-bedroom house in, in a terrific neighborhood, and a new car with all of the creature comforts. No expense was spared. On top of all this, Stanley also enjoys a membership at the local country club, where on Fridays he gets to go out with his friends after work and enjoy a few rounds of golf. How do I do it? Stanley asked to you before offering up the punchline? Well, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Someone please send help. In this hilarious and brutally honest 30-second blip, Stanley is able to articulate a truth which so many of us are often afraid to admit about ourselves. That our sin, our disobedience to God, has us in debt up to our eyeballs. Now, of course, this is no monetary debt. But rather, as Jesus says in St. Matthew, it is a spiritual debt. God demands in his righteous law that this debt of sin be paid. And none of us could ever make full satisfaction for the price needed to pay off for our salvation because none of us is perfectly righteous, which is what God demands. Like Stanley, we love to put on the outward appearance that everything with us is all fine and dandy. But the harsh reality is that we're utterly unable of our own reason or strength to keep our heads above water. This is the kind of poverty that Jesus references as he opens his mouth to teach the disciples in Luke 6. A reality you and I struggle mightily with. For we are, all of us, eager to point out how put upon we are, how oppressed we are, 
how unjustly the world outside treats us, but I would wager that to a person, your pastors included, not one of us would ever dream of walking into a room or posting on our social media what a wretched, miserable sinner we are. None of us would like to enumerate the wrongs that we commit each and every day, how often, their nature, and against whom we sin. The mere thought that I, self-righteous as I am, could possibly count myself the very worst, the very last and least, the poorest, most miserable and wretched sinner, it fills me with indignation. Now sure, I'm willing to admit, like we all do at the beginning of the worship service, that I daily sin and fall short of the glory of God, but it's always with the sinful inclination and knowledge that by no means are my sins as bad as the sins of so-and-so sitting on the other side of the aisle. Friends, confronting a sinner with their sin, their debt, and their neediness, their lack of sufficiency, It is a surefire way to make even the most devout among us tense and bristle as we steel ourselves to come face to face with some very unpleasant truths. Yet that is part of being a Christian. It is part of being a sinner saint. And it is precisely what Jesus does for us here in Luke 6. He acknowledges from the very beginning of the text that those who follow him Those who cling to him, those who worship him, these are not likely to be the ones who, as they say, are on top of the world. Rather, those who appeal to the mercy seat of the Christ may rightly consider themselves to be the most needy of all. For the reality of our sin is more than any of us could possibly bear. In the presence of of Christ's wealth of righteousness, you and I, we're we're not just poor. We're destitute. And yet, what does Jesus say in the face of such destitution? Not, woe to you, poor miserable sinners. You all have screwed up big time, and now you better come before my altar, my mercy seat, with your begging shoes on. On the contrary, Jesus says, blessed, are you. Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you, O sinners, O needy ones. And why? Because you have fallen on your knees before him and him alone who can shoulder your burden, him who can pay your debt, and him who can wash you clean Not just of your sin for today, but of all your sin. Does your sin cause you to hunger for righteousness? Does your sin cause you to weep over the suffering and death which it leaves in its wake? Does the mere acknowledgement that you are, in fact, a poor, miserable sinner make those around you, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, turn away in discomfort and disgust? In the midst of all these things, your Lord Jesus Christ invites you to rejoice and leap for joy. For where there is the knowledge of sin, there follows repentance. 
And where there is repentance, there the Christ stands ready to turn your sorrows into joy. For the great epiphany, the knowledge of our Lord Jesus is not limited only to the signs and the wonders and the miracles that we read about when he walked this earth with his apostles, but rather he continues to be revealed to us this day also in the preaching of the law and in the proclamation of his holy absolution. And so, when you are wretched and lowly, when you are broken and desperate, then blessed are you indeed. For here is Jesus, ready and willing to take your wretchedness onto himself and do away with it. For this reason he pronounces woes to the rich, the full, the laughing, and the well-liked. For those who are secure in this world, those whose hope is not in things heavenly but on things earthly, they rarely acknowledge that they are, like us, sorely in need of deliverance. And in so doing, they do not seek Jesus. They do not know Jesus. What's worse, they do not even know that they don't know Jesus. For it is this same Jesus who did enter into our sinful estate, despite him having done no wrong of his own. And as the Apostle Paul writes in his first, second letter to the church in Corinth, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He who was full emptied himself for all of us. He who enjoyed the full joy of the glory of God the Father acquainted himself with our sorrow and sadness. He who was very first before all man came to be last of all and least of all, rejected, reviled, persecuted, and killed upon Calvary's cross. In so doing, he made full satisfaction for we who are poor in spirit. And so, here is your blessing, O you who are poor, that you may bear the image of him who loved you and who gave himself up for you on the cross. St. Paul writes in that same epistle, that as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Take note, Paul does not say that because we share in Christ that sufferings will not come, but that when they come, your comfort is not found in any of the fleeting pleasures or treasures of this world. And so, I invite you, hear him again as he draws the poor and the needy unto himself, offering that comfort and peace which only he can give. And as you draw close, rejoice, dear Christians, in the blessings which this sweet comfort gives. For as Christ was made poor, so are you made rich in him. As Christ was emptied, so are you satisfied. In him. As Christ wept, so does he now fill you with the joy of his Spirit. As Christ was rejected, persecuted, and crucified for your sake, 
so are you, dear brothers and sisters, given new life and welcomed into his eternal kingdom where you will sorrow no more. For he who has power and authority to forgive you this debt of sin, he also promises you an end to this day of sorrow and the dawn of a new day when he shall take all of your woes and exchange them for his eternal blessings. In his most mighty name, amen. May the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.